Welcome to the Exchange Podcast by EWL. As advisors to some of the most successful families in the country, Craig Emanuel, Tim Wyburn, and I, Ryan Lure, draw upon some of the best minds in the country. We believe that by exchanging ideas, we can deliver better advice and better outcomes for the families we work for. Now, we're inviting you on this journey. In this podcast, we interview some of the country's best investment managers, business advisors, bankers, and founders to share their valuable insights. And our hope is that with better information comes better decisions, helping you to achieve more financially. Good afternoon, Dom, and welcome to the Emmanuel Wilburn on Lawyer podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. I think for the listeners' benefit, we actually went to school together a long time ago, and um, I think I read about you in the AFR not that long ago, which prompted me to reach out today. But it's a very warm welcome. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here. Good to see an old familiar face from school. Very keen to kind of jump in and dig into a few things in the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. Yeah, no, it's great to see you kicking goals also. But to kick things off, I thought it would be good for you to tell us a bit about yourself and your background in the legal industry before founding LawPath and what is LawPath? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of, of LawPath, um, an online legal technology business based here in Australia. Um, but maybe winding back the clock a little bit, um, where I started, I call myself a recovering lawyer. I started as a um, a lawyer, a corporate lawyer working for one of the big firms, Minter Ellison. Um, we, 12, 13 years ago now, um, spent a couple of years as a corporate lawyer, really enjoyed it. Um, I think um, the, the thing that kind of prompted me from maybe moving away from the traditional legal path was whilst I was there, I actually started a, a startup, a side hustle that I was running at night times, and um, that was in the online e-education space. And I really loved it. Um, I loved the kind of the the buzz you got from from starting businesses and and being able to really control, you know, your revenue, your expenses, things like that, which I wasn't getting any access to as a corporate lawyer. So um, then, when I kind of had the opportunity, I thought, can I combine law and starting a business, specifically a startup or a venture backed startup? Um, that really excited me. So so we started Law Path eight years ago now, and really the the mission or the original kind of idea was that we had seen um, that legal technology or technology specifically didn't have much penetration in the legal industry. It was this huge trillion-dollar industry, but it was relatively archaic. And the reason for that is the business model works really well. Lawyers make a lot of money, um, and so there's not too many incentives to change it. But... um, at the small business level, we, we found that a lot of small businesses weren't accessing legal help. And we took a lot of inspiration from what was happening in the accounting space, the companies like Zero and Reckon and QuickBooks that had come through the accounting space over the last 20 years and really changed the way that small businesses engage with accountants, um, built software platforms and automated a lot of the processes. And we thought there's a very close synergy between legal and accounting um, and our kind of thesis was what happened in the accounting industry was also going to happen in the legal industry. And so we started building the LawPath platform and really the, the purpose of the platform is to give small businesses access to legal tools to complete tasks themselves, really empower them to do it themselves. And so over the last kind of six years, we've been building out the platform 
have about 400,000 small businesses on the platform right now in Australia and in California. And really, um, a very quick way to explain it is, um, you know, if you're if you're running a small business or an SME and you're you're not big enough to have your own in-house counsel, but you've got legal and compliance issues that pop up every day, then you can use LawPath platform to complete those tasks yourself. I think it's a great product. I remember um, when we were first starting up, we engaged a number of lawyers, not really knowing who to speak to. And I remember some of the agreements coming in, which we paid good money for, mind you, were clearly just insert name here because they had the wrong name in the contract <laughs> or one of them in particular. So no, I do think there's certainly a space for it. At the time, we didn't want to go to a top tier firm and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for an agreement. So no, I can certainly see space for it. Can you take us back to the, the early days and what were the initial challenges you faced when launching? Did, was it a clean cut? Did you go straight from corporate into this business or did you kind of run it as a second side hustle? And I guess, why did you choose to go down this path and not pour more energy into the other side hustle, which I understand is also quite profitable. When I was jumping ship, I mean, I think the first big challenge was sitting as a junior lawyer or a lawyer with two, three years experience. Um, it was really not the thing to do to leave a, a firm where you were on a, uh, a trajectory to, you know, become a senior lawyer and a partner. That was that was the thing to do. You just spent seven or eight years at university to become a lawyer. Um so the biggest, I think, the initial challenge was actually deciding that I wanted to leave um, uh, and 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 start a business. Um, so you know, I think back then it was it was much harder. These days, it's quite a common path. You know, not all lawyers end up being partners at law firms. Um, a lot of them will go off and do their own things. Usually, go in house. Um, the biggest um, initial kind of factor that I thought was that um, I really saw that. A lot of the businesses that I was engaging with when I was a corporate lawyer couldn't afford our services. And law had always been this kind of gold-plated service where you pay, um, you know, the, all the work needs to be done really, really well. And so then most of the lawyers can can only be afforded by corporate clients or top-tier clients. And there were all these small businesses that were just foregoing legal help and legal protection. So I, I thought there was a huge opportunity there. Um, and so jumping ship from Inters was a big call, but obviously has, has paid out, paid off quite nicely. Um, the actual kind of initial formation of Law Path was it was a couple of different people. So I came, I came from the legal side. My co-founder Tom, he came from the marketing and um, advertising side. Uh, we had two initial um, investors that worked in the business early on. And we actually started in an incubator, one of these. Um, incubators where they'll actually provide you with tech resources early on to get you up and off the ground. And now they've become really, really popular. But back then it was it's called Polonizer. It was one of the very first incubators. But that was a really great um, way to start because we were we had a bit of a platform and a little bit of help to get going. Now, your question, you know, which business to choose, Law Path or the other one? Um, so the, the other business that I run is an online education business that trains gig economy workers. So we train Uber drivers, um, food delivery drivers, rideshare drivers uh, in Australia, New Zealand and Singapore. That was, a, as you said, a, a really great business. Um, but the, the call I made early on was I looked at the TAM or the Total Addressable Market. I just said, which one's going to be bigger? I think um, training gig economy workers is, is a huge space, but I really felt like the legal industry was very ready for disruption. And if we could do it right, we could become 
the next zero. You know, we call ourselves a zero of law. So it was a kind of a bit of a path that we could follow. And so, um, and look, it's turned out to be right. You know, what I found over the last seven years was the online education business was great. It grew very quickly, but it hit a bit of a ceiling. Whereas the law path, what we're finding is the more we dig into things, the more we expand, the market's getting bigger and bigger and bigger because, you know, we've seen a huge boom since COVID of people starting small businesses. Um, Australia, um, formation of new businesses has gone up about 40% since since COVID. So what we're seeing is everyone is starting to work from home. Everyone is starting to think, how can I run a, a business at nighttime or a business with my family or um, those type of things. So I think the initial, and, and now I'll, I'll actually answer your, your question, which is what were the biggest challenges when we first started? I think number one was uh, myself and my co-founders, we were all um, professionals in our domains but none of us had technical expertise. And I think of a lot of founders or people starting businesses that want to run technology businesses or have at least a technology aspect to their business run into this problem really early on, which is they don't have a technical person there that can help them. And typically what you'll do is you you will um, either try and find someone, which is usually quite difficult, or then you'll offshore or you'll try and get it built, you know, the technical side of the business built offshore. So I think the first um, real challenge we ran into and why we ended up raising our first round of capital was to actually hire the technical talent that we needed to kind of start building out our platform. The um, the next big challenge was we were going up against the kind of legal guild. So the legal industry is big. It's, it's been, um, you know, it really hasn't changed for the last 50 years. Um, and lawyers were not very happy when they heard about this um, young startup that was coming in um, or small business that was coming in and starting to, you know, eat their lunch um, and provide services in a different way and undercut them in pricing and things like that. So we actually had a lot of issues early on convincing the, the professional, the industry, to work with us. Uh, we had lots of letters of demand saying we were doing the wrong thing, saying we, we, they were going to put us out of business. Um, but I think what we started to see was that, that attitude changed because, you know, where we come at, come at it now is that, um, yes, we are uh, changing the way that people access legal services, but we're not actually coming after lawyers, really. You know, lawyers, there's always going to be a place for lawyers. It doesn't matter how much software or AI or whatever we have out there in our platform. Um, there's always going to be a place for lawyers to give advice. Really, the area that we're going after is what we kind of call the under-advice space, which is all of those businesses out there that just wouldn't go and see a lawyer or wouldn't get help. Because I think everyone's had that experience if you've run a business before, which is, oh, I don't want to go and speak to a lawyer because they're going to charge me by six-minute increments and it's going to be complicated and, you know, maybe I'll just get on with it um, and, and I'll put my head in the sand a little bit. So, that's who we've gone after and what's ended up happening is there are millions of small businesses out there that aren't ready to engage uh, a lawyer in a traditional sense but are very happy to use a platform. With Incubator that you used, did they also provide startup capital for a portion of your business? Is that Was that the model at the time? That's right. So um, they, uh, yeah, the, the initial agreement was they would take a small percentage of the business. Um, I think thinking back now, it's kind of 5 or 6% of the business and they would provide us with the kind of ecosystem we needed in the first year to get up and running. And, and really the, the biggest value out there was the 
product management and the technical help. So they had some software developers on staff that could get us up and running. Um, and really just to get us to our MVP, um, sorry, our minimal viable product, not MVP. Um, and so just to get us to a point where we could actually put something in market and sell it. And it wasn't just kind of telling our friends and family that this was a good idea, but it was actually getting people to buy the service. Obviously, you made a big bet to leave a what would have been a great career path in a big legal firm and probably end up being quite successful in your own right via that path and to give that up and to go to something that may or may not work. How confident were you when you, you stepped out and were there any moments where you thought, oh, geez, what have I done? Oh, yeah. Every every year when I would see the, uh, the newsletters come out of my colleagues who I'd started at the law firm with being promoted to kind of associate, senior associate, now partner, and um, I'd be sitting there trying to make sure we could run, have enough money for payroll. Um, that was always a, a bit of a reflection point when I thought maybe I should have just choose, chosen the traditional path. And I think that, you know, that, that traditional path is still a really good one um, to go down and, and, be a, and be a partner at a law firm. But I don't know, my dad was an entrepreneur. I, you know, I just had that in my blood. I just wanted to kind of give it a, give it a go. And um, now I could say that it definitely paid off. And I tell you, I actually know the moment it paid off and it wasn't whether we were profitable or, whether, or anything like that. The moment it paid off was um, I, I got asked to do a, um, a speaking event where I was talking about legal innovation and technology and things like that. And um, it was to a room full of lawyers and partners. And um, in the front row of this speaking event was the very first partner I worked for. And so it had really, it had flipped from like her being, you know, looking after me and guiding me through to then me actually teaching her about the space of, of software and things. So that was the moment when I was like, oh, this is, this is great. That's awesome. You can actually draw a line in the sand and pinpoint the point where your mindset changed. That's great reading the newspaper articles uh, on Lawpath and yourself over the last couple of years. Looks like you've had a few very high-profile financial backers and, and funds. Can you tell us about the fundraising journey? And uh, it's not, not easy. We, we know that. We've done a bit in the past. It's not a skill that everyone has either. Did that come naturally to you or was it hard at times to raise capital? Yeah, um, it was. I've had, we've raised four rounds of capital. We've raised $11 million all up to date. Um, through four rounds of capital, um, and I've had really varying experiences. Um, some of the rounds just fell into place and just went ahead, and it was. And I thought something was going to go wrong. You know, it was like that was too easy. And then some of them have been really, really painful. And at the end of the day, I think it. it sometimes it hasn't come down to uh, our model or you know our, our our mission here at Law Park, but it's just come down to the timing of markets. Um, so. You know, we've now gone through a cycle where it probably 2017, 18, 19 was kind of medium. 2000, you know, pre-COVID and COVID was was going crazy, and then now it's it's pretty tough out there for for venture-backed businesses. Um, we're lucky enough now that we're kind of profitable, and we've got through that kind of uh, risky stage where we can we can run out of money. We we we're de- with default alive these days, which is good, uh, but we won't stop raising funding because um, you know we see the opportunity ahead of us being massive, and, and to get there as quickly as possible, we'll we'll bring in inside capital. Um, whether it was hard personally, it, it's like dating, and I was never very good at dating because there's a lot of rejection, and um, I think that 
um, I probably figured out now that it's also a numbers game and maybe dating's a numbers game as well, but it's a numbers game where you start with a top of funnel of a hundred funds and you filter them all the way down through, you know, through your process to end up with a couple um, that are then involved. So we've been really lucky along the journey. We've had a whole, whole bunch of different types of investors. So um, we've got some, um, very prominent family offices um, on the cap table. We've got um, some smaller VC funds. Uh, we've got a strategic partner um, out of the US called LegalZoom. Um, they are a legal software business based over in America, which has been really, really good. I think sometimes strategic investments can go, you know, one, they can go really bad or really well. Um, we've heard a lot of stories about when strategy changes, the, the big corporates maybe will just disappear and they're not, they just sit on the uh, cap table doing nothing. But what we found was that uh, LegalZoom, they're 20 years old. They've been through it. They already knew a lot of the playbooks that, that you had to go through, so they were able to share that with us. And, and that's really helped. Um, you know, I suppose we've never got a, what I would call a top tier or a large VC on our cap table. Um, you know, I think probably just the types of rounds that we did, um, it was never really, um, you know, they, the, the, the fit was never really there. Whether or not we've kind of passed that stage now and maybe it's not, we've probably moved more onto the growth and the PE type investors rather than the, the early stage VC. But um, I think what I really liked about our cap table is that um, everyone's been able to follow on. Everyone's been kind of been on the mission of, you know, what I really am big on is when we pre when we present our forecasts um, to the new shareholders um, and then we can update them every quarter and kind of say we've hit our forecast and get to the end of the year and say it was up by 5% or off by 1%. And we've been able to do that now for a couple of years. The shareholders that are already on the cap table can kind of, they know when we put a forecast in front of them that we're going to hit it or get pretty close. And that they've all been pretty happy to, to follow on. Are you able to share what the last funding round was raised at? Or was that a couple of years ago now, was it? Or? Yeah, so our last round was in 2021. Uh, we raised about $8 million in primary, uh, and the post money there was around $50 million. Just on the, the environment for Warpath and artificial intelligence and what we've seen over the last couple of months in particular, but it's been bubbling along in the background for the last couple of years, is artificial intelligence something that you've had an eye on for a while or is it something that you plan to incorporate in the, the business model moving forward? In hindsight, we probably could, should have said we've been looking at it for a couple of years, but the reality is I think like a lot of other businesses out there, um, end of last year when everything started to really go go crazy with, with chat GPT and and the, and the open AI models is when um, we seriously started looking at it. And I think um, what it showed us was that, you know, legal is very susceptible to this type of software and technology. Um, and we've been automating uh, processes for the last couple, you know, few years. But we've always hit this, this ceiling, which is, um, you know, ultimately what a small, an SME wants is advice. Um, and, you know, until now, there really hasn't been any software that could deliver that um, en masse, uh, which is really where we're at. So what we've, we've done recently um, is integrate our own AI into LawPath, and it's been pretty incredible response. So we've got about 15,000 small businesses using LawPath AI. Um, 
it can um, draft documents for you. It can draft clauses for you. You can upload contracts and it can review them for you. So, you know, let's say um, you're a small business, you're a cafe over the road here and um, you're entering a new lease um, for your cafe and you're not sure what to do. The, the traditional way of doing it would be you would find a lawyer. Um, they would get the lease. They'll do a review for you. Let's say it costs about $1,500. They'll come back and say, hey, look, this clause is not market. This clause, we should negotiate. This clause is, is wrong. Um, what a small business can now do is it can upload its lease to LawPath. LawPath will then look through all the data from all 400,000 other users that we've had on the platform and compare that lease against all the other documents created and it can actually benchmark it. So it can come back and say, this is a high risk clause. This is a low risk clause. You should think about this. It's missing this. So um, it can't tell you whether you should go ahead and sign that lease or not. You know, that is reserved for a lawyer, right? But what it can do is give you a really early indication um, and get you about 80% of the way there. And I think um, that's a huge, huge change to what typically happens you think about all the the legal agreements that get sent around every day and you're constantly having to loop in your lawyer to get them checked um what we're finding is people will just upload it to LawPath and and make the call themselves um whether or not they want to get get it looked at by a lawyer and excuse my um naivety when it comes to technology itself but do you have to reinvent the wheel when you're trying to incorporate ai into your own business model or is it powered by microsoft or powered by Amazon, how does it work? It's powered by. So I think what we've seen is that, um, you know, these large language models, so our one's powered by OpenAI. We use GPT 3.5 Turbo, which is just below four, which is the most recent one. These LLMs, they're the big equalizer. You know, I can now integrate and use the OpenAI LLM for 0.011 cent, right, per API call. So for about... Uh, $15 a day, 15,000 small businesses can have the full power of open AI, which is, which is incredible. So, so what I think is now happening is um, we won't build our own model. We don't think that's the way to go. We think, you know, let's leave that for Google, Amazon, and, and Facebook, and open AI, right? Um, but the way to do it is then take their models and then train it on your own data. So that's how we've done it. So what we've got is we've got an underlying model from OpenAI, and then we've got our own um, vector database with all of the data of, of all path users, and then it's trained it that way. So I think the most successful AI companies so far um, are not the ones building their own models. Um, you know, you'll have the big guys, the big tech companies build the models and give everyone access. Um the ones that are going to be really successful are the ones that already have the big channels to market that can leverage AI. So you've got, um, you know, Notion. I'm not sure if you use Notion as a, a note writing tool. Um, it's a Notion to have to put a layer of AI on top that helps you draft. Google, uh, you know, they're just about to release their, their AI on top of Google, the Google suite. Microsoft 365 just about to release AI on top. So that's that's really how we're thinking about it. We're thinking about we have the we have the platform, we have the channels to market, we have the user base. How do we layer AI on top to really help leverage our, our software further? I saw, um, I think when ChatGPT first came out, it couldn't pass the bar exam, but it now can. So it is fascinating to see how it can learn and evolve over time. And it seems to be happening at an exponential rate. 
are you um, seeing that in your own product offering that the actual solutions being provided are, are drastically improving the more data it has and the more people that use it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, three uh, GPT-3, which is the first model they released, I think it got a yeah 10% score, 4 was 90%. They're saying GPT-5 will get 100% score on the, on the bar exam. What we're seeing is that if you've got enough data to put into it and enough usage, it, it learns so quickly. So, you know, what I really like is that um, a user can come to the LawPath platform, they can, uh, let's say they started a company with us. We start about 6% of all companies in Australia through our platform. So we have all of this data coming in around what start companies are starting, who are the shareholders, who are the directors, what industries are they in, that type of thing. And we're ingesting all of that data into the into the database so that when a florist in Surrey, I'm located here in Surrey Hills, when a florist in Surrey Hills um, decides to start their business, when they come to LawPath, we already have all of this data about all the other florists in Sydney. And we know what structure they should be, what documents they should have, what award rates they should pay their staff, what type of trademark they should have. And then AI just presents that to the customers. So instead of going into a lawyer and explaining your entire business and them giving you kind of unique one-off advice, we're aggregating all of the data and being able to provide that same service. Now, I will put a, I want, we'll put a quick caveat on all the AI use um, specifically in law, which is um, there are regulatory issues, which is um, only a human lawyer can provide legal advice. So, um, what we're doing is we're being very careful to provide as much information as possible up to a certain point, but then we have our on-demand lawyers through LawPath. We have a couple of hundred lawyers that you can connect with on-demand. They're the ones that will give the final piece, piece of advice. And I think we're seeing this across a lot of AI, which is it's called human in the loop. You know, AI does the majority of the work, but then there's, an, there's always a human at some point in the process that just double checks that it's okay and it's correct. Or to be honest, where we're seeing the most value is that the human will take the results and then explain it to the client because nothing can really replicate, you know, a person explaining it to another person specifically, especially if it's a complex issue. Did I pick up just then that you do all, sorry, 6% of the new businesses coming to market, you do their legal work? Yeah. That's that's quite a staggering statistic. How long did it take you to get to that number? Usually when I'm talking to investors, I lead with that number because I think that's a good one. Um, so, yeah, we start about 6% of all companies. Um, that's taken us probably three or four years to get to. Um, you know, our goal is to get to 20%. So we really think that if we can start and then manage 20% of companies in Australia, um, then it, it's, a, it's a kind of excellent model, right, because there are – Two and a half million small businesses in Australia. That's expected to grow to, to about six million by 2030. Uh, we're in probably the pole position to start the majority of them or a lot of them. And then once you start them, you bring them into the platform, onto your software, and then you can provide them services throughout their business journey. So that might be legal. We're doing a lot of kind of company secretary and we're actually just starting to do a bit of accounting as well. So um it's a good little acquisition model. You start them, build the trust, get them into the platform, and then help them along the way as they grow. Absolutely. That's amazing. Just on the, the business model itself, I think we've kind of danced around it, but we haven't really dived into exactly what it is that you offer, the different lines and how you charge and how you how the business makes money. So how the model works is um, 
we start by either starting or bringing a business in in its first couple of years of of getting up and running. So um, we really like any anyone that's in their first kind of one or two years of, of practicing, oh, sorry, of, of operating. We bring them in and then they can, um, it's a freemium model. So you can start by accessing our platform for free and then you'll upgrade into a subscription or a membership uh, depending on what your needs are. And through that membership, you can access all the legal tools that you need to run your business, all the workflows, all the compliance tools, um, and you'll also be able to access different advice services from lawyers or accountants or um, company secretaries. And then um, as the business grows, we have additional services that you'll add on. So let's say um, maybe um, you're doing all your basic compliance on the platform, but you need to do a capital raise. So then through our platform, you can access capital raise lawyers and company secretaries to help you with that service. So I think the way to kind of think about it is there's um, an un- underlying subscription that you purchase to access the platform, and then there are ad hoc different tools and services that you can buy along the journey. So that's that's generally generally the model. And you just mentioned that you're branching out potentially into accounting for these businesses also. Any other lines of service that you're, you're thinking of going into on your path to world domination? Well, I think... Um, I think the, a lot of the big discussions we've been having in the business recently is whether we we kind of go more vertical into the legal space or horizontal into other professional services spaces, and I think where we well, where we have landed is is the horizontal because I think probably a big strength of our business is we are very good at acquiring new businesses. We have about ten thousand clients signing up a month, um, and that's because we spend a lot of time building out these systems, especially around helping people get started. And then once they're in the platform, small businesses need all these different services. So the decision then is whether we build it ourselves or we partner. So on the legal and compliance side, we've decided to build ourselves. Right now on the accounting side, we're deciding whether we should build something ourselves or we should we should partner. Um, there's a couple of areas we've already partnered. So, you know, for, for example, um, we've partnered with Westpac. So they will do all the business banking. So you can set up your bank account through the platform as well. We've partnered with a number of insurance companies. So, um, yeah, it just depends if we want to be the actually build it and, and do the do the delivery or, or partner and integrate. And I think, um, you know, the, the Westpac, the Go, you know, Westpac, GoDaddy are, are really good partners for us because they're at that point where a small business needs banking or needs internet services. Um, and then we can quickly, through APIs, send them back and forth between our platforms. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it would be quite sticky as well. I think once you choose a bank, it's a bit of a pain to change. So just on the accounting piece, so I understand legal agreements can be quite standard and sometimes it just it, it's just a contract and you can literally sub in or sub out different names. With accounting, obviously the numbers are always going to be different. So is that a very different business model or do, do you think you've got an idea of how to tackle that problem or how, how do you make it scalable? Yeah, so I think probably the the, the biggest um, thing to note there is that we won't do the accounting software side of things. So there are already some enormous players in the space: Zero, QuickBooks, Reckon, MyB, um, and we don't intend to go head to head with those. Um, what we intend to do there is to integrate through APIs with those platforms. We already integrate with two of them. Um, where I'm talking about the accounting is more on the advisory side. So actually, when you're when you're engaging with an accountant. So what you might find is that your um, 
your kind of professional services bundle is you have LawPath, the legal software, you have LawPath, you use one of the LawPath lawyers, you use then an accountant you've got through LawPath, but they're always using an underlying Zero or MYB. But over the life of the business, are there any key challenges you think you've had over that period? Rarely are all smooth sailing. Are there any hairy moments where you thought you weren't going to raise the money you needed to keep the lights on or um, you know, likewise when you're getting these legal letters of demand from essentially competition. I don't imagine that was fun either. Yeah, we've got, got pretty used to the old letters of demand. There's, there's definitely been moments where um, it's been pretty hairy. We've been um, at points where we only had one payroll or, or two payrolls left of, of funding in the bank. Um, I mean, that's a really big one for me. We're a team of 80. Um, you know, I've brought or Tom, my co-founder, we've kind of brought these other 78 people along on the journey. Um, they've all left, you know, good well-paying professional jobs to come and work for us. So it's very, very important that we can kind of um, continue to be a stable workforce for them. Um, and so that's probably the, the one thing that I that really kind of drives me is building out the team and, and making sure that it's, it's, it's a really good place to work. I think the biggest challenge has actually been um, there is a trap that a lot of uh, new businesses and, and startups that fall into, which is, they end up building stuff before their customers are buying it um, or before they've really tested it with their customers. And I know you kind of hear this a lot on different advice um, seminars and things like that. Um, but, you know, where I think when we approach legal, we were like, it's a unique industry. It needs unique software. Let's buy it, build something really customizable uh, because, it, because it has to be that way. And I think what we've learned over the, over the years is that you can start with generic third-party applications, and then once you've tested whether they're going to use it or not, then you can then you actually start building out your own. Too many times we've kind of wasted opportunity or wasted time building a really bespoke system that then needed to be changed too much or the maintenance was too expensive. So I'll give you a really good example of this. So when we were building our contract automation software, we draft probably six, 700 contracts a day through the, through the software. Um, we thought we had to build this totally kind of bespoke, unique piece of software, um, and we ended up building it. It probably took a year to build. And then once we'd launched it, we just realized the clients and the customers were not using it the way we, we'd expected them to use it. Um, and what we learned really quickly was it was lots of – we kind of built it from the, the inside of me being a lawyer and the other people in the, in the business being lawyers and, like, this is what we should build. But actually, small businesses don't think like lawyers. They, um, the biggest learning actually was um, people don't want choice. They just want confidence in the choice that they've been provided or the decision that they made, the confidence. So the example there was we built this system that had like in each clause, it had like 10 different other clauses you can choose from. And as a lawyer, I wanted to be able to customize each clause and pick and choose what I wanted. Small businesses didn't want that. They just wanted to be suggested a clause and they just wanted to know that the other 99% of people in their industry used this clause as well. And so we ended up rebuilding the system and taking out all the optionality and just saying, okay, well, based on our data, this is what you should do. And now that's really how we approach everything through the platform is we don't give you a lot of choice. We just say based on the data of what everyone else did, this is what you should do. And essentially that's what that's what a lawyer is doing when you go and visit them. Visit them through their experience. They're saying, "Hey, this is what you should do based on all the other clients I've ever spoken with." Yeah, okay. 
You've experienced some pretty serious growth over the last decade, so huge congratulations. Have you had a chance to stop and smell the roses about, wow, we've built this from zero and it's now worth, oh, I can only assume, north of 50 million? Have there been many moments where you're popping champagne bottles and celebrating or is it still just it's hard to stop? Yeah, no, yeah, it's still it's still head down and, and work hard. I think, um, I think maybe that's a trait of people that want to build their own business. They're never really satisfied of what they got to when you get to the you know, you get your end of financial year report and you're already thinking about next financial year and the numbers you want to hit. So, no, my team's always telling Tom and I to kind of like, let's have a party and celebrate where we got to. But I think both of us feel like we're only just, um, I don't want to say we're only just starting, but, you know, there's still a lot to do to actually build out our vision. And, and you know, that's a billion-dollar business. And so we've got to um, we've got to do a lot more. Yeah, no, I think I probably suffer from the same same problem. It's yeah, you just want to constantly just be moving to the, the next milestone and don't have time to celebrate. But it, uh, it is important to stop and, and celebrate every now and then because you never know, you might be hit by a bus tomorrow. So it's good advice. Yeah. It's very good advice. Well, I don't take it myself, but <laughs> it is good <laughs> advice. <laughs> so we spoke about artificial intelligence in the business. Is there other technologies that, that you've embracing that are really impacting your business? I think one, one thing we talk about with our clients is just the rate of change of technology and how we're in this um, fourth industrial revolution and it's happening at a rate of knots. Is there any other technology outside of the obvious, which is artificial intelligence, that has been pretty significant in your growth? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and it seems so simple, but um, it's having a system that is completely cloud-based, um, which allows for um, you know, not only our admin, but all of our developer operations, um, but also about our clients to access our platform on any device from anywhere in the world at any time. That's been really, really important. One of the kind of main things for us is um, it's on demand. So whenever you purchase a product from us, um, it's delivered to you within a few seconds. So that might be setting up a new company. Um, you know, we've got APIs with ASIC and the ATO, so the company's set up in 10 seconds, whereas if you go into an account, it's going to take you two weeks. Um, if you're doing a, a document, it is ready within a couple of seconds. If you're speaking to a lawyer, that lawyer will pop up on a video um, within a couple of minutes. So the speed and being able to have a cloud-based system is really important. We've built our entire platform on AWS, Amazon Web Services, specifically because it is so scalable. We hit... We have about, I think we're at probably 420,000 users right now. I remember when we hit 100,000 users and the system crashed. Um, and we thought, you know, because when we first started, we thought 100,000 users was going to be a lot. And we were like, oh, we, we don't have to worry about that. We're never going to get to that size. Um, so the system crashed and we and we had to rebuild it pretty much from scratch. Um, but now we've built a system that can go up, you know, the great thing about these, like AWS, is it can it can really just scale with you. So we can go up past a couple of million users without any issues. The other um, area that we've been really working on is um, is electronic signing and electronic signatures. We found that there's some really great, you know, DocuSign, HelloSign. There's some really great systems out there already, but a lot of small businesses are on the go. They're on mobile phones. They're on tablets. They need to be able to do things without having to print. So um, legal is a very document-based profession. So anything we do that's document-based is always, um, you know, we convert all of our Word docs and our PDFs into HTML so that it can be used on any device, signed on any device, just making sure that people are, are able to do it on the go. 
Um, because what we find is about 40% of our usage of our platform is actually outside of business hours. So people are doing it as you know, they're using us for side hustles. They're using us at nighttime. Um, the other area of the other kind of side of software that we um, have really been trying to embrace is we've got a few machine learning type um, systems within the platform, especially around trademark auto automation and things. Um, but I think, to be honest, with the developments in AI over the last six months, they'll be replaced by the AI models. Um, so we'll just have to see. I think the really interesting thing about the AI models is it's changing so quickly. What we've done is we've, we've built a, an API, just an, an open endpoint. So it could be open AI, it could be bedrock, it could be BARD. It doesn't really matter which um, model we use. We just want to make sure that we can plug into them all because I think what's going to happen is you'll find that different models are better at doing different things. So open AI might be very good at the kind of more data crunching, whereas Claude and uh, Claude's a, a model that's built out of Europe might be better um, might be better for legal. So we'll just have to wait and see, but I think everyone's going to have to be pretty agile over the next little while to see what works and what doesn't work. What do you envision for the future of LawPath? Are there any upcoming developments or innovations you can share with the listeners? What, what does the next kind of 10 years look like? Well, next 10 years, so, I mean, our, our, our mission around North Star is to um, really make legal more affordable um, and fair for, for small businesses. What that means in a practical sense is that we want to be the go-to place for not only Australian businesses but global businesses to get started and then manage all their legal compliance. So we launched in California to test out the US market. It's going really well over there as well. Um, so that's probably down the track. Uh, you know, if you ever need to start a business or you ever need help with your legal compliance, we want LawPath to be that brand name that you come to. In terms of what's happening over the next 12 months, um, we just want to get more proactive with all of our customers. So the, the feedback we're constantly getting from our customers is um, you have all the tools, um, have all the systems in place, but, you know, I'm busy running my own business. I want... I want my legal provider or my compliance provider to be proactively protecting me. And so I think that's where AI is really going to come in and can start saying, you know, hey, Tim, you you did this six months ago. We should think about, you know, there's a, there's a document where there's a notice period coming up or there's a review period coming up or you did a trademark and someone just infringed your trademark. You know, I think that's the really exciting space where the AI can actually become proactive and start protecting you that way without you having to do anything. And as an entrepreneur, what advice would you give others looking to start their own businesses? My biggest piece of advice is if you're not embarrassed by your minimal viable product, you didn't move fast enough. And so to, to kind of explain that that piece of advice, I think that what people can do, no matter what they're building, if it's a product or a service, they can hold on releasing it out to clients or customers because they want to get it perfect. But every single time I've released a product or a service, um, it, when I've released it to clients, it's changed. And you actually, you didn't think people were going to use it in a certain way. So I just think get it out in front of people as, as quick as you can, even if you're embarrassed by it, because you learn so much when people start using it and giving you feedback. And so, yeah, if you're not embarrassed, you were too slow. Yeah, and that's good advice. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up after all this time and learning more about your business. I, I learned a lot of things that I hadn't known previously from all the reading 
I've done, but um, I really appreciate your time. I'm sure the listeners will, will certainly enjoy. If anyone would like to get in touch with your business, I'll certainly point them in the right direction. So yeah, for anyone listening that would like to learn more about LawPath or the services, please feel free to reach out to me and I can put you in touch with the right people. Thank you very much, Dom. It was very enlightening. Thanks, Jim. Really good to speak to you today. And yeah, if people want to find me, um, LinkedIn, Dominic Woolrich, I think I'm the only one. So feel free to add me as a connection. Thanks for your time today, Tim. It's been great.